Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. So today, like you said, we're starting a brand new series called Chasing Wholeness, and uh, we're going to start broad today. I'm going to kind of lay a foundation for what it, for, for what it means and what we're going to be talking about, but um, I also want to give you some specifics on what it might look like to chase wholeness in one area of your life. Because the goal for today's series in Chasing Wholeness is to have a, have a life that is, is full, right? That I think God wants you to have a life that's full, like a, like a plate that's full of food. And there's a balance of what's on that plate. That you got your proteins. I don't know what your protein is. Chicken, steak, whatever you like. Just imagine how you want to. But you got your protein. You got your vegetables. You got your carbs. You got a a full plate, a healthy plate. And that's what it looks like to have a balanced, healthy plate in your life. Like a table that has all four legs on level. And many times in our life, we we can chase one thing and miss out on all the other things. I've found in my life and in especially in other ministers' lives that you can, you can chase after ministry and you can pursue growing your church and you leave your family behind or you leave your finances behind or you leave some other things and then before you know it, it catches up and the table is so out of balance, it falls apart. Oh, you look like you're crushing it. You look like your ministry or your business or something else is crushing it, but behind the scenes, things are falling apart. And that's, I don't think that's the life God has called us to live. I think he's called us to have a full life. There was an illustration of how Abraham ended his life. And it says when he was full of years. And the illustration that I heard was that it was like Abraham said, all right, I'm good. I'm full. Like I'm stuffed. Like he finished his life. He finished in fullness. Like I'm complete. And he pushed that plate away. Like I've had enough to eat. I'm good. I'm full of years. I've had a full life. I've had a balanced life, a healthy life. And so today we want to talk about how we chase that. How do we chase wholeness? There's a term in the Old Testament that's used by Jewish people all over the world called shalom. And shalom is nothing missing. It's, it's a wholeness, a completeness, that you have a, a, a complete picture of all that God has for you. And Jesus reiterates something very similar in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is what he wants for us. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's God's desire for your life, to have a full life. To some translations say an abundant life, to have, have it full and overflowing, that it doesn't just affect you, but it overflows to the people around you, that you are called and God's desire for your life is to be full. And I absolutely am aware there are seasons in church history where there are aspects that we're not able to be full, right? That doesn't change that God's desire is for you to have it full. When you have the opportunity to have fullness, what I mean is there are opportun- times in history where the church has been persecuted. And so there were areas of your life where you couldn't just live your faith out the way that you wanted to because you're going to be murdered for it and people lost their life for it. That's not the fullest because what I know is that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. So, But when there are opportunities to live a life that's full, to have a life that's balanced and, and, and focused on Jesus, what he's saying is when you have that opportunity, my desire for you is to have a fullness, an abundant life, an overflowing life. I looked up the, the Bible definition area, the Strong's Concordance definition. Here's some of the, the words it used to describe that last word, full, that last word, abundant. It says, over and above, more than is necessary, super added, exceeding abundantly, supremely something further, more, much more than all, 
more plainly superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, preeminent superiority, advantage, more eminent, more remarkable, more excellent. That is the wholeness, the fullness, the completeness that I think God wants to describe your life like. That when you are on your deathbed and it's time that you can push the plate away and say, no, 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 I'm, it's, it's, it's done. It's complete. I've loved my family well. I've, I've been faithful financially. I've been faithful with what God's given me. I've been faithful and balanced to, to prioritize all that God has for me in this life. I have shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. I have a peace, and that's what I want to chase. And that's what I want to challenge you to chase, that kind of aspect. And what we see, or what I see in Scripture, is that there's always like a three- or four-pronged approach. It's not just a simple, like, just do this one thing, and it's all going to be solved. Just, just, just do this one simple uh, approach. And so as we go through this series, I want to talk about different approaches that we're going to look at. And so I want to see some of the three-pronged approaches or the four-pronged or the, the approaches that take place in Scripture. And the first one that I want you to see is in Matthew where Jesus is talking and they ask him about the greatest commands. And he tells them, here's what the greatest commands are in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's saying, you, you want to have the fullness. You want to f- follow me completely. You want to follow me wholly. It's all found in these two commandments. And even inside of these two commandments, he's saying, I need your heart. I need your soul. And I need your mind. I, I, I need all of you. So there's, there's parts of you. I don't want part of you. I want all of you. And even in how you love your neighbor, it's dependent and contingent on how well you love yourself. Can you love me well enough that you hear what I say about you so that you can love yourself well enough to have an un- abundant overflowing life based on the love that I've shown you so that you can love others well? There's contingencies on how you're called to live. There's a, there's a balanced wholeness in what your plate is supposed to look like. And God is saying, I need you to love me with everything, your, your heart, your soul, and your mind. I need you to love me with your actions. I need you to love me with your emotions. I need you to love me with everything you've got. And then I need you to trust that I love you so much so that you're overflowing to others. There's a balance to all of that. And one spot that's missing is going to cause trouble in all the others. The table will fall over if one leg is missing. Because if we, don't, if we just love them with our thoughts, but don't love them with our heart, with our actions, with the, with the way that we actually live our life, then we're going to be missing out on all that God has for us. We're not going to understand how to love somebody else if we can't understand the love that God has for us. There's a, there's a balance. In the Ten Commandments, um, it's kind of divided up into three sections the way I read it. The first three are about how, how you love God. The first three is like, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Have no other gods before me. They're about God. The second two are about you. God is looking out for you. Even in the Old Testament, he's already got a three-pronged approach. The second two are about you. You want to you honor me, uh, honor your father and mother, so that you can have a good long life. He's, he tells you, if, if for you to, to have a break and have a rest, I need you to take a Sabbath. I need you to chill. I need you to breathe. I need you to rest. I'm here telling you how to love yourself well. And the last five, because it's more complicated, how to love your community. Don't kill nobody. Don't covet things that aren't yours. Make sure that you're not lying, that you're not cheating, that you're not stealing. How to love your community well are the next five. And there's three prongs to this table. And so as we look at at this series and we process through, I want to whittle things down. I want to narrow it down to different legs and different sections of, of how to have a balanced approach. And as I say the word balanced approach, what I also recognize is it's kind of a, it, it might make sense, but it's also doesn't. 
If I say balance, when I say that in the sense of following Jesus, you're not going to be able to have just a balanced life. I know that sounds weird. I'm saying balance in the sense that you have a complete plate, but you can't eat the meat, the potatoes, and the carbs all at the same time. you got to do one at a time. And if you're one of those weirdos that mix them all together, high five to you. You have got a whole new thing going on in your life. Uh, we can get you some counseling. we got people here that would love you. Well, But usually you do one at a time. Usually you do one at a time, and what I heard one pastor say is don't miss the same thing twice. You can't every day be, you, you can't be 100% of everything. You can't be 100% the best parent, and in the same day be 100% the best employee. You can't be the same day 100% the best in your call at work and 100% the best spouse, but you can focus on not missing two things in, the, in a row. Like, you know what, today I, I crushed it here, but I missed it there, so, so I'm going to focus on this. And here's, here's how I see that balance. Here's the balance that I want you to focus on and how you do every leg of this table. It's found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. See, in Christ is where we find fullness. And, and where I think the table gets out of balance is that we have some areas of our life that are in Christ and other areas in our life that are in us. We have some areas of our life that we give to Jesus and we say, all right, this is yours. You can have this. I didn't like it anyways. I wasn't doing a very good job at it, so I'm going to trust you with this area. But then we have these other areas, these other legs of our table that we try to do on our own, that we don't let him in on. We don't let him in on our thoughts. We don't let him in on our hearts or maybe our actions. Maybe our Sunday morning isn't all his. Maybe our, maybe our kids aren't all his. Maybe our marriage isn't all his. Maybe, maybe there's aspects of things on our phone that aren't all his that we hold back. And we say, I'm going to do this one my way. And, and the balance that I'm talking about is making sure that in every area of your life, the fullness that God has for you is found in Christ, which means that every area of your life is submitted completely to Jesus. Right? If I'm going to be 100% and I'm going to have a balanced plate, I'm a balanced table, and I'm going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, it means every area has to be in him. I have to trust him with, with my marriage. I've got to trust him with my kids. I've got to trust him with my finances. I've got to trust him with my life, with every aspect, because in him is found fullness. The wholeness, the abundance is found only in him. And so if I will take every area, the balance that exists in your life is that every single area has him in charge. We don't like that word. We don't like that term. We don't like the idea of Jesus controlling us. We don't like the idea of God as Lord. We like the word Lord, but we've made it a religious term. We've made the word Lord a religious term that just means like he's Jesus Christ, right? It's just a fancy name for Jesus Christ. When the original context of the word Lord in the New Testament is to tell us that he's our master, like he's our king. He's the one that we take orders from and we follow him in every area. We don't get to have him be king in part and not king in other areas. I'm going to be king over here. At my castle, I'm going to be king, but you be king over the kingdom and other areas of my life that I want to give you. But the areas I don't want to give you, I'm going to hold on to. I'm going to hang on to. I'm going to cling to. And so today, I want to challenge you to take one step at a time, giving Jesus every area of your life. Don't just chase one. Let him have it all. Don't just chase the one thing that you think will help satisfy your soul. The one thing that you think you're inadequate in that you've been fighting for to prove to the world that you're good enough, you're big enough, you're strong enough to show everybody that you can do it. You've been trying to prove some things to the world around you. And today I want to challenge you to stop and give it to Jesus. Give him every area of your life. So as we whittle this down, today I want to focus on one. We're going to chase wholeness. We want, I want you to have a full and abundant life and the one area that as your pastor, I'm going to challenge you 
to really hone in on today, to think about, to pray about. And maybe, maybe just maybe there's parts of this that are going to be challenging in a way that you're going to have to think on. You're going to have to chew on. You're going to have to pray on. And you're going to think about what God has called you to do and how, that, how you're called to apply this. But I'm going to challenge you that you make sure that every area is first. And the first one that I want to challenge you with as your pastor is the church. That, that you trust God with the church. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, many times church for us is optional. We as the, as American, as the American church have, have, very, have individualized Christianity. We, we think that our relationship with Jesus is all there is. We have, we have created a context where we read scripture as though it's individually written to us whenever almost every book of the Bible is written to a community. There's a handful in the New Testament that were written to individuals, but most of them were written to community, right? When you, you start talking about uh, the book of Ephesians, well, that was written to the believers that were in Ephesus. You talk about the book of Corinthians, that was written to the believers that were in Corinth. All of these books are written to communities, and we take them out of context to say they're written about me. And they're written only for me. But outside of the context of community, sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense unless you understand the context of community and how powerful and important God has placed the idea of the church and the community that is the church. It's, it's so powerful and so significant. It is the definition of the church. So we've got new shirts out that say, be the church. And when we say be the church, we want you to go represent the church and be the church in the community. But that does not mean that's the only church. It means you bring them into the body of Christ. You connect them to the, to the whole, right? We, our goal is for you to go be the church so that that person can be connected to the church, not so that they individually can stay by themselves solo following Jesus. Now, I like the idea of that. And I get why the American church likes that idea because I like that church because community is complicated. Loving, loving your, your, your neighbor is complicated. It would be much easier if I could fall into believing that Scripture is just about me and my relationship with God. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Yes, I do. Now I'm on a beach. I'm by myself, and nobody's bothering me, right? I'll bring my wife. I'll bring my kids, and sometimes I won't because they'll get on my nerves, so then I can be by myself again, right? I'm going to do all that by myself because I don't need community, right? I don't need, I don't need all that. I just need me and Jesus. But that's not the context of Scripture, of what it means to, to be invited into the body of Christ. That's not the context of who Jesus has called us to be. And so today, we say this thing every, almost every week, where that we want you to, this to be a place that you can belong before you believe. And we believe that. I mean that with our whole heart, that we want this to be a place you can belong before you believe. But as you start to believe, we want to start you at maybe like the shallow end, and help you understand more and more about the gospel and the good news and who God has called you to be. And we don't want to leave you at the place where you don't believe. We don't want to leave you at the place over here where you think that you're just, God is just going to leave you in the spot that you're at. No, no, God is always challenging us to go deeper, to live better, to live more in community, to love people better, to learn how he loves us better. And so just as much as we want you, this to be a place you can belong before you believe, we want to challenge you to have your belief be reflected in your life and in your actions and understand who God has called us to be. So us as a church, us as a church are called to be a community of believers that go out and be the church, but also make sure we are the church here as well. And, and it's so far removed from what's accurate in scripture that it's by definition. The, the, the word that is used for church, 
over and over again in the New Testament. It's, a, it's over 118 times that um, the New Testament uses the Greek, the original Greek word that translates to church. Over 118 times, and then there's a bunch more where it allude, alludes to the church without using that particular Greek word. 118 times, and the definition of the church is the gathering is the assembly. The definition of church is not an individual. The definition of the church is alluded to as though it's the body of Christ, that that's what we are. That's what scripture tells us we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. That's who we are. We are the gathering of the believers together. And us gathered together are the church. It says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to be there. Not you by yourself, not you just doing life on your own. Not you just praying and reading scripture, not enacting the community aspect of scripture. Not just me and my four and no more. It is about a community that we're called to build together because there's a power in what Jesus is trying to do. Here's what he says. The very first time that Jesus uses the word church is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Let's take a look. It says, and I also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and, you, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When Jesus is talking, he says, uh, hey, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the, the, the revelation of what I'm going to build is based on you understanding that I'm the son of God. The revelation of, of what I'm building is based on you understanding what the church is meant to be. And then when he describes what he's building, he uses a word that is a gathering and an assembly of people together. He says, I'm going to build my, my assembly. I'm going to build my gathering based on this revelation. If you'll lift me up, I'm going to draw people to me. That's what scripture says. And so what he's saying is that it's, it's, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sending you out to bring them in. I'm not sending you out to make lone wolves. I'm sending you out to bring them into a body because when that happens, he says, what's gonna take place is that I'm gonna, I'm gonna build something so powerful. When you have a community, when you have a group of people that are passionate about me together and they find out what it looks like to love, they find out what it looks like to love and community well because that's, that's difficult. We like the theory of it. We like the idea of loving each other well. But it is way more difficult in action. It is way more difficult when you really find out what it looks like to get to know people that have complicated lives and they've got trauma in their past that they're wrestling with and you've got to try to love them through that and help them through that, not leave them where they're at and justify their actions and help spur them on to be better. It's difficult. It's easier to seclude yourself. It's easier to just come and attend church and not be the church. It's easier to just show up and imagine that Jesus is just about me and my relationships. I don't have anything else to do inside of that context. But what Jesus is saying, I will build my gathering. I will build a community. I will build a group of believers that believes in me and believes in my power so much that will be submitted to me in every area of their life. And in that gathering, that will be one. That, I, that, that, that singular gathering will be a spot, will be a place where we're going to come together and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. That hell itself cannot stand against you when you guys are together. It's one of the final prayers that Jesus asked for is that, 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 my, that the people who follow me are in unity, that we're connected, that we live in a community together where we support each other, we love each other well, and it's complicated. And yet we still are called to do it, even when we don't like it, even when it's complicated, and even, God forbid, when the church has hurt you in the past. 
And I get that. There's, there's got to be a high percentage of you that have been a part of a community and risked it, risked it one time and stepped out and tried to join into the community of the church and you got burned. You got hurt. You found out people were difficult. You found out the pastor is just another human that puts his pants on one leg at a time. Right? You found out that the, the people in there that, that were ordained were maybe got it wrong every once in a while. Maybe they failed morally. Maybe somebody that you loved that was in your family, they were a deacon, they were an elder, they were somebody important in the church and they let you down. You found out that people were human and God still calls us to love humans, not ideas. He doesn't call us to love the ideal version that we've made up of people. He calls us to love them where they're at, while they're messy, while they're complicated, and we still have to love even though we don't want to. Even though there are times like, I'm done. Even as your pastor, if I can admit that, there are times where I'm like, if this is just, if I could not do this, you know, like one more person complaining about one more thing and get upset and hurt and doing something stupid and I got to go talk to them, have a conversation and I'm trying to love them but not leave them and I want to figure out how to love them, where they're at, while they're doing something stupid, while they're hurting other people and what are the boundaries in which I tell them to stop hurting people and go get help and all of the complicated mess of what the church is. But what I know about that is that on the other side of that complication, the messiness of what the church is and can be, are people who learn how to love. People who learn how to love when it's messy. People who learn how to love when it's complicated. People who learn how to love humans, not ideas. That's what the church is called to do. Humans are messy. The pedestals aren't. If you can just love me at a distance as your pastor, I'll be good. If you don't ever get to know me and find out I have flaws, you'll probably be in a perfect community and you'll never understand that I've got struggles too. But once we get to know each other, you're going to find out I'm human just like you, and I will let you down eventually. And still God will call you to, to follow him. Still God will call you to, to dive in to community. And so how that happens is I, the method for me doesn't matter, right? I, I don't care how the churches do it around the world, how churches do it down the street. I just want to see God work. I want to see lives changed. I want to see people come to know him. I want to see people grow in community and actually love one another even when it gets messy. That's what the church looks like. That's what it looks like to take, I'm chasing wholeness. And what God has called me to do is to make sure that community, the, the spiritual believers all gather together, that that's one of those legs that is a priority. That I don't, I don't make excuses for my hurts. I don't make excuses because I'm tired when I wake up on Sunday morning. I don't make excuses for when I know I'm supposed to be at a life group. I don't make excuses for when I know I'm supposed to serve at the church. That it is a priority in my life because I'm investing for the long term, not the short term. I'm investing so that whenever I've got somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that when my cousin is hurting and he's lost and he's broken and I'm trying to find a place to send him, that I've been investing in a place that he can come to. That I've been pouring into a spot that I know where you can get healing. I know where you can find a community that's loved because I've been a part of investing in a place that's built up into a community that's gonna love each other well. And one of the things that we do, this is, this is more of a... Um, more of a kind of like practical how we do church. It's a method, everybody can do it however they want to. But one of the things that we've set out to do and one of the things I'm passionate about seeing is that everybody uses their gifts. Like from day one, when I came to the brick, it's like, listen, we're, we, I wanna be a church of action, not a, per, a church of attending. I, I, I bring them in, belong before you believe, but I wanna move them to a place where the people start to use their gifts wherever they start. I, you don't have to know even the first book of the Bible to come and start serving at the church. You don't even have to be sure if you believe in God yet because you can belong before you believe and you say, you know what, I wanna test this thing, I wanna try this thing out. So we've created an environment where you can serve and use your gifts while you're still in the wrestle of your doubts. And there, there's a stage for every moment of your faith. And that's what we call attend one, serve one. 
The whole reason we have two services is not because we're too big for one service. When I got here, there was 90 people. We could have fit four of us in this building when I first got here. And first thing we did was split to two services because I wanted a place where you could use your gifts, where you could be the church, where you learned to, to be the church, not just attend a church, that you learn to be in community, not just see a community, that you show up. And there's a place where you, at whatever stage of life you're in, you got little kids, you get, your kids are grown and gone, you're a grandparent. Whatever stage of life you're in, there's a healthy way to attend one, serve one, that you can plug in at one service at the 10 o'clock. You can show up and serve and brew coffee or high five or be in Life Kids, and then you can attend the 1130, or you can switch it. You can serve at the 10 and then attend 1130, or you can attend the 10 and serve the 1130, whichever way works for you and your family. And we created a Life Kids curriculum or a part of a Life Kids curriculum where kids can attend two services and love it and have a blast with it and have an exciting time inside of there and connect with the brand new set of leaders when the 1130 comes in. We create an environment where I want to see you use your gifts and not just attend, but be the church. So, so I'm, 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 we're pushing a little deeper and I'm challenging you a little bit deeper. Now, if you're at a place where like, I don't, I don't even know if this is home church. Like, I, don't, I just showed up. This is my first time, Pastor Jared. And it sounds like you're asking me to sign up to do something right now. I don't know that I'm here for that. I thought this was going to be a nice, fun May 22nd experience. So maybe you're not there yet, right? If you're not sure if this is your home church and you're still wrestling with your faith and you don't know if you're even called to start serving, just know that God has got you. God loves you. And this is a spot where you can wrestle with your faith. But if you know this is your home church, if you know that you're a, you're, a, you're a fully devoted follower of Christ and you passionately love him and you pursue him, then I'm challenging you to go a little bit deeper, to not, not stop short on individualism, but dive into community, to dive into using your gifts, to dive into prioritizing the church. Because here's what it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It said, let us consider how we, we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that like, hey, don't, don't give up. Don't forsake it. No matter how complicated, no matter what your excuse is, don't, don't forsake the moment that you can have in community, the power that exists in community that we are called to spur one another on, that we are called to challenge each other. We are called to be a community that grows together. Don't, don't forsake it. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how messy the community is, don't forsake it. No matter in their context, whether you're being persecuted for doing it, go ahead and meet anyways, right? So we can may, maybe dumb it down for, for the American church. We're not persecuted. Maybe, no, no matter how, how long your week was, no matter how many hours you worked that week, maybe don't forsake it. Maybe no matter how difficult and how comfortable that bed always feels on Sunday morning, and I'm pretty sure that Satan creates mattresses more comfortable on Sunday morning because that is the most comfortable. When you decide you're going to go to church on Sunday morning, that mattress when you wake up is just heaven. It's like a cloud, and you just sink into it, and you're like, why? Why is it like that? No matter how comfortable that bed is, you say, this is a priority for me to spur each other on, to push each other, to be there, to be a smiling face at the door, high-fiving, to be someone who's lost in worship and prioritizing worship. Because guess what? Just worshiping is a part of the community and you are affecting somebody else next to you, whether you believe it or not. And I'm gonna worship with reckless abandon. I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna give my all, even in worship. Even while I'm receiving the word, I'm gonna come fully engaged in what God has for me. I'm gonna come prepared because I'm not gonna forsake the meeting of us together, that this community matters, that, that the church is a priority. If I'm going to have a wholeness, if I'm going to have a full table, I need to have a community 
that's a part of that plate. I need to have a spiritual community that I can trust and I can lean on and that whenever something bad happens, I don't have to cold call a church and say, hey, can I talk to the guy who's leading the place? I don't know his name. I'll call him the preacher. I'll call him the pastor because I don't know his name. I don't know anybody else in the church because I have not invested in community in a way that when I need a funeral, I don't know where to go. I got to call random church. I got to call random community. When I'm about to do a wedding, I don't know who's going to do my premarital. I don't know who's going to marry me because I don't have a community. I don't have a connection. Whenever something bad happens and I want somebody to come pray for me, please don't let it end up being a stranger. By all means, if that's all you got, for sure, call us. We'll come help. We want to pray for you. We want to be there for you. But right now, decide to invest in a place where you can call them by their first name and they are going to come and pray for you and believe in you because they've invested in you and you've invested in them. That we're building this thing together and we're creating a space where we can go out and we can say, come, be a part. There's a spot. There's a spot for you. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, wherever you're at in your wrestle with your doubts, there's a spot for you because we have a community of people that are bought in, that are invested, that, that believe that a whole life means having a whole community, that believes that the spiritual life, that the church has to be a priority. And so today I'm whittling down a little bit more. So we're talking about big wholeness. We've narrowed it down to the church. And today I'm going to talk about our church specifically. What I'm going to challenge you to do. Um, there is an area of our church that if you have an inclination that maybe just maybe on your heart, you know this might be a spot for you. There's an area of our church that is, I actually think, I think it's probably more close to the heart of God than anything else you can do. I, I'm including what I'm doing. I'm including what worship does. I'm including what everybody else does. And it's found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. There's an area of our church where, whether it's COVID or other things that have gone on, where we're, we've got a gap and what it looks like to be community. There's a gap. Our, our, our child to adult ratio in our kids' ministry is time to increase. It's time to add to that and make sure that that's a priority as well, that that's, that's an essential part of what the church is because they're not the church of tomorrow. They are the church today, and they're coming to their church, and they need a church where there's people that are investing in them. They need a church where they listen to the words of God where he says, no, 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 I know. See, in this moment, Jesus is in a community where, where children are property and they're, they're, they don't have value. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I place value on them. I'm not going to wait till they're 18. I'm not going to wait till they're 15. I'm not going to wait till they're old enough to benefit this household. Let them come to me. You want to have the heart of God. Make sure you have the heart for kids. Right, that, that we are the church, that we, we love kids well enough. So if you're wrestling, right? So what I'm whittling down to is serve. If this is your church, find a spot. You can serve host team, you can serve switch, you can serve in life kids. But if there's a chance that kids ministry might be a spot for you, meaning as simple as this, you can pack, pass a background check. That's essential for us. And you, you don't mind being around kids. You care about kids. You love kids. Something as simple as that. I, I don't need you to be a Bible scholar. We'll give you all the tools you need to figure out how to do it. We'll give you training. We'll give you everything you need. If there's any chance, let's make sure this is a church that prioritizes our kids. Because what I'm building to what I'm building to and what we're building to as a community is, is a church that we can go, hey, come out. Jesus told us to go to the highways and the byways. And we can't go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Hey, let me introduce you to a community if there's not room for their kids. We can't say, hey, come, let me introduce you to the call of God on your life if they can't check their kids in because the ratio is past the fire code. So we have to turn a new family away because we don't have enough leaders to, to deal with the kids that are in there because we can't split rooms because we don't have enough leaders to split the rooms. And so I'm challenging you if, that's, if there's a chance, if there's even a, a slight chance, give it a shot. 
to make sure that the church is a priority, serve somewhere, and join us in Life Kids. Be a part of creating a fun, engaging, thriving environment where kids can come to know Jesus and take their next steps. See, a lot of times around here, we tell stories of, of uh, like people who are, had crazy drug addictions or they're alcoholics and you see them getting baptized and they're, they're a year sober, they're two years sober, they're doing something big. They've had this crazy marriage, marriage issue and then God restored their marriage. They were struggling in this major area and then God restored them. And those are amazing stories. And they tell really cool from the stage. But the stories that are best are about the kids who grew up in a family that was supported by their community. The story of kids who grew up with a church that prioritized their faith and surrounded them. The story of the kids who never went through that. The story of the kids who who came out and said, no, I didn't have to deal with drugs because I went to a church that surrounded me and loved me and I didn't have the taste of sin on my lips because I desired the things of God in my life. I didn't have to go through what my mom and dad went through. And we already are singing, I just don't want to stop it. I can see the ratio coming, so I don't want to stop what God is doing. I want to keep yelling, and I need you to step up and be the church so that we can keep yelling, come in, come in. God's got a spot for you. There's a community for you. There's a balance. We're chasing wholeness, and part of it is the church. And so we've got some kids that are already taking steps. You can see, we're going to show you some pictures of these kids getting baptized. So these are kids that uh, are little and yet taking big steps. Young kids that are stepping up and saying that their family is doing something. We're we're partnering with families to lead these kids to become fully devoted followers of Christ. He wasn't forced, by the way. He's not scared. He's ready. (laughs) And this last one, I know a little bit about her story. And what I can tell you about her is I know her dad well enough to know what he went through as a kid. And because we have a church that surrounds people, that loves people, that loves families, has surrounded him in his marriage, has surrounded her as she grows up in her faith and she makes the decision to follow Jesus. What he's told me the day that she got baptized is he saw his daughter in the pool and he got to be in there with her. And he said, my kids won't go through what I went through. My kids won't wrestle with what I wrestled because we got a church that steps up and prioritizes the things that matter and we invest in now, in today, so that we can invest more tomorrow and that we can have space to call them out and come in. Your family doesn't have to go through what we went through because we invested in who God had called us to be. And so today, if that's you, listen, we want to see you thrive and we want to see you help kids thrive. If that's you, we're on your team and we want you on our team. There's a table out there and we are going to cheer like crazy because kids ministry is the funnest place you can be. If that's you, there's a table out there before you leave today. Make sure you come see us, sign up, and let God use you to be a part of this girl's story. And every kid like her that won't have to go through what some of us went through, won't have to go through the the addictions, the struggles, the wrestles, because they'll be a passionate follower of Jesus because they were surrounded by a community that prioritized and chased the whole thing. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.